Hi everyone and welcome to the Friday, June 11th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. I think you know us by now. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Uh, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, uh, there's some things I want to talk about, but the first thing I want to talk about is inflation. Because, you know, we've been predicting this now for months, but it's pretty hard to deny that it's back. It's back in a big way. In fact, the year-over-year -year inflation jump last month, 5%. A 5% inflation rate is, we haven't seen this since the 1970s. I mean, we've spent the last 20 years under this regime. We've built an entire economy and our lives on essentially zero inflation, okay? We had, we had finally drove it out of our economy and, you know, it was wonderful because, you know, now you could make plans and you weren't gonna hit with this unexpected tax, which is what inflation is for the middle class. Uh, that's bad enough. Core inflation, which is things like food and gasoline and all the incidentals of daily life has gone up to 4%. And you know, if you have any doubts, just get a tank of gas, go buy a loaf of bread, right? Right, I was gonna say uh, the actual inflation, inflation for me, honestly, is something my parents would talk about. Um, and certainly, but I do know about, you know, housing prices going crazy and certainly gas prices. I mean, you look at the late seventies, um, you know, I, I have some, I wasn't driving then, but you know, have knowledge of, whoa, gas is going up and then it's persistent. And now we have gas nearly $5 a gallon in Silicon Valley. So those are some of the things. Little high summer. Right, exactly. But also coming around is these price hikes at the grocery store. And so, you know, lumber, it, it's things yeah, that- the, the lumber thing has become a meme. Right, and, and that's going to further affect housing prices, but uh, the idea that everything, like that's real inflation, we haven't seen that in a couple of generations, right? Yeah, and I don't think people fully appreciate what high inflation is like, because you sort of have to plan to deal with ever greater inflation. Whenever you make a purchase, you know, long-term purchases, you want to take out a bank loan, you know, you better get, you better not get, better get a fix and not a, you know, a variable because you're going to get killed. People lost a lot of homes in the seventies when that, when the, uh, the big balloon payment came in on their, on their variable mortgage, or it got, you know, they did that two years and then they, then they readjusted and it readjusted right through the roof. I mean, inflation is a nasty thing. Governments kind of like it because it's, it is, is another tax on the population. And what's interesting is Janet Yellen and the Fed don't seem concerned about all this. They, they you know, their attitude, I think, is 2% inflation is okay. That, that keeps the economy humming. Right, right. And they're willing to accept this right now because they're saying, well, this is a special time. We're coming out of, you know, the pandemic lockdown, we've got to stimulate the economy. There, there are problems in the supply chain that have to, are still being worked out, and this is just going to happen. But it'll fix itself later in the year. Well, but some of the things you said are correct. I mean, this is a special time. We're coming out of a pandemically induced recession. And look at some of the things that are in the economy that weren't there even a year ago. You know, a higher minimum wage in a lot of places. 
And then even on top of that, small businesses that have to pay above the minimum wage just to get people to come back to work. Right. You mentioned the stimulus. That puts money in people's pockets that wasn't there before. More buying power, and that equals higher prices. So we've talked about creating a recession. We've talked about that, you and I, for 14 months. Are we creating inflation? Yeah, a stagflation at worst as it deteriorates. Uh, you know, I, I agree with your thinking on this, but then just a couple days ago, Deutsche Bank came out with a report and they said, it may look like a problem that will go away, inflation, but it's more likely to persist and lead to a crisis in the years ahead. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty dire warning that uh, dis dismissing inflation fears will prove to be a mistake, if not in the near term, then in 2023 and beyond. They're saying this is starting to shape up. The reasoning behind the Fed and all of that is a lot like the reasoning that went on in the early 70s, you know? Right. And what I wonder is, if, if you're the Fed right now, as you look out on even the short term, not to mention the long term economic realities, uh, can you possibly see through the fog of yeah, what's going gonna on? Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, There's are, they, so much are they really better prognosticators than, you know, bankers or economists or just corporate executives? Well, I mean, Deutsche Bank, these guys are, you know, they've, they've been caught off guard by everything. Oh, they were yeah. caught off guard by cryptocurrency, by meme stocks, by, I mean, it, it's, you know, Wall Street is kind of the old guard and that's been yeah. laid bare in the last year as well. Uh, so who can predict what's going to happen? I think what's going to happen will be taught in economics courses for decades, right. but we just don't know what it's going to be yet. Yeah, we've created such a massive distortion over the last year. We we don't even, as we've talked about before, we don't know what the cultural implications are. Like a generation of children losing a year out of their lives. Right. What is that going to entail in the in the future? Well, we'll have to see. Keep keep your fingers crossed. You do not want stagflation. Um, okay, back to normal life. This almost sounds like normal life, but I suspect it was. Virtual. The Apple Worldwide Developer Conference? Yes, it was virtual again. So you got spared having to go up to Moscone and sweating <laughs> bodies and trying to find a parking place and all yeah, of that. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you put it that way. Uh, oh, yeah, those were those were the ugly parts of it. But I did enjoy and look forward to one day <laughs> being able to <laughs> hang out with my colleagues again and right. actually talk about this stuff in person. You know, the, the for a journalist now covering Apple, it's watching everything virtually and then hopping on Zoom to talk to you know your privacy experts and your tech experts and all that stuff, um, and the whole thing was, you know, I didn't leave the room that I was in, which was a little you know essentially yeah, you closet. Yeah, you don't get that <laughs> roaring crowd of, right. of Apple true believers, and and that one more thing, you know, I mean obviously that's gone after Steve Jobs, but there's still an element of that, right? They right. always they always save the big finish. Yeah, and um, what do and, they do now? They they just don't suddenly just go black and they go and they come back on and say, <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, they just say, okay, hey, let's go to some room where something's already been taped, and it's it's very anticlimactic, but um, it's so okay. Let's let's boil this down. It's less of a show. Yeah. So we're not covering, and actually, for what we got this week, it is less of a show. There was less of a big big focus on a product. This is the developers conference after yeah. all. It came on the same day that the FBI said, hey, we were able to retract that Bitcoin from the hack. So privacy, fittingly, was the main theme of Apple's conference as well. 
And as you know, Apple has been taking on the Googles and YouTubes and Facebooks of the world and literally hammering them over the issue of privacy. I think this is a brilliant move by Apple. I think we've gone for years now saying, well, we're just going to lose our privacy. Right. You know, it, it's just inevitable with the technology revolution. And then we're starting to actually see and experience what it means to lose privacy. And you sense a backlash is building. And Apple is taking the, the opposing position to all the social networks who, you know, they're all for taking our privacy because their business is built on that. Apple isn't, and they're going the they're taking the opposite tack, and I think it's going to pay off for them big in the years to come. It may. I think, for one thing, uh, the, the backlash is already here. There's a massive distrust of these big tech companies, and it is a good move by Apple because Apple has been lumped in with them, yep. and for good reason, for all of Apple's um, you know, uh, indications and, and talking about, hey, we're the privacy company. I mean, this is the company, after all, that makes the iPhone, which tracks yeah. us, you know. Yeah. And so it's walking a fine line. But the idea of, hey, if you go on an app, that app is now going to ask you, can I track you? Right. And you can press a button and say, no, I don't want Facebook or YouTube or ESPN. I mean, it's, it's funny now how many apps come out with this. Do you want me to track you? Um, but that is a very big signpost by Apple to say, we're at least looking out for a little bit of your privacy. Now, were there any big announcements in terms of that? Privacy well, products, privacy services, privacy features? But again, Apple is walking a fine line. On the one hand, yes, they're going to you know, allow you to say, I don't want to be tracked by these apps. I don't want to be tracked by any software. On the other hand, and literally within minutes, they were able to say with a straight face, hey, if you want your health data that your phone and your watch track to go straight to your doctor, we yeah, can do that we'll too. We'll just go right through HIPAA. <laughs> you know, we don't care. <laughs> and, and again, like, okay, I, I certainly don't mind my doctor knowing my health information. That's why I have a relationship with the doctor. But again, anything with the words automatically transferred from your iPhone, raise my privacy hackles. And Apple is able to do that at the same time it has almost an entire conference based on we're the good guys when it comes to privacy. So they are really walking that fine line. And it just shows you how dependent we are on technology and how much of our privacy and data we've given up through the years. Yeah, yeah. you know, you get the feeling that, you know, the horses are out of the barn. It's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Now, interestingly, did you read the report that Facebook is planning on unveiling their their Apple Watch competitor next summer? That's interesting. Facebook and hardware? Right. You know, I mean, Facebook and hardware have had a up and down relationship. Is this just a nephew to Apple? You know, it's like, Oh yeah, you're gonna tell us how to behave and treat right. us badly. I mean, remember there was briefly a Facebook phone. Yeah. Uh, there's a Facebook device that can, you know, allow you to talk and it'll walk around with you in your home. Um, a watch with that kind of data to a company like Facebook, that unlike Apple, is very boldly out front saying we're gonna take all your data and we're gonna monetize it, and that's the way of the world. Um, that's a big risk. So, uh, you know, again, there's not a huge difference between one company and another. But there's enough of a difference where I would say, woo, a Facebook watch, I want to know what it's monitoring and who on the other end is getting that data, whether it's how many steps I take or a heart rate or whatever. Um, that's just dangerous in the hand of a company that fully admits we monetize your private data. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about hackers. Okay. This is a big week for hackers. Oh, was it ever. Bad week. Yeah. So uh, Tuesday morning. I don't get up in the morning. So. <laughs> 
I didn't even <laughs> notice, but I know you do. Uh, so we had Amazon, Google, Twitch, CNN, the UK government all went dark Tuesday morning. Do we know why? We do. Yeah. Um, you know, a cloud services company based in San Francisco. Fastly. Fastly, right. Which you haven't heard of before. No, I never heard of it. Tuesday morning, sure. Um, and they admit, whoops, you know, it's these are companies that we handle with our cloud services. And the reason these cloud service companies exist are to protect those companies, um, but also to keep, you know, the trains running on time. I mean, the reason so that- So trip over a power wire, pull out the plug of a complete server farm? Well, so here's the thing. It, it looked bad for Fastly for a while because nobody really knew what happened. As the week went on, we learned that and I don't know if this is maybe even more disturbing, one of the companies that Fastly handles, uh, you know, made some changes to its internal stuff and that knocked everything offline. Ah. And that's almost scarier because that feels like a minor change that did very major damage. Yeah, for one of a nail, the battle was lost. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, so the, the interesting thing about this for Fastly was everybody knew, know, knew about it by Tuesday night. You know, we had all reported on it, and you could sort of feel the hackers licking their lips like, whoa, do we have a big fat target to go to? But did Fastly suffer? Eh, here's the thing. Turns out Fastly is a publicly traded company, again, that most people hadn't heard of. Right. In the worst day, you could say, of its corporate life, the stock went up 11% because all these investors said, whoa, there's a very important company that handles Amazon and Twitch and CNN. And so this is the Dutch Schultz rule. As long as you give me coverage, I don't care what you say about me. Yeah, I, I would, maybe I knew it as the Madonna rule. There's no yeah. such thing as bad publicity, well, only more publicity. Yeah, well, you're more contemporary than me. <laughs> but yeah, and so it was a strange day that uh, that you know really made for a strange week for hackers. Well, um, the other well, here's the other big story. Yeah, and a positive story about the competence of the FBI. We haven't heard a lot about that recently in the last couple of years, but. They got the they got the bitcoins back from the the ransom by the hackers on Colonial Pipeline. That's kind of amazing. It is. It speaks to a lot of things. One that a hacker's ransom can be somehow clawed back. Yeah. Um, but also that that's a hacker's, the good news. Oh yeah. But <laughs> also that a hacker's ransom in Bitcoin can be clawed back. This was interesting. That was bad news for Bitcoin owners. Because, exactly. Bitcoin. Wait a minute. I bought this because it's supposed to be the most secure form of currency there is. You know, it's got all this encryption that no one can ever break in four trillion years. Right. And the FBI broke it and they went ahead and got it. Well, you know, Bitcoin back in the day, and I'm talking years and years ago of, say, um, you know, the dark web where you could go on Silk Road and use it to buy contraband. Right. And that really heroin. was untraceable. But, you know, Bitcoin now is the major sexy out there currency. I mean, it's got a little bar on CNBC, for goodness sakes. That can't be underground anymore. <laughs> yeah. The IRS knows if you're making profit. The government knows you're doing Bitcoin. There are entire exchanges. In fact, what the FBI did was take out a court order, and we assume it just went to Coinbase or one of these exchanges and said, ah, give us back that Bitcoin. It's ill-gotten gains. That's very legal. That's understandable. And yet it speaks to... We know you, we know where you are, we know where your currency is, even your cryptocurrency. It was interesting that the value you of know Bitcoin the went down. The, the government has go to, they systematically go to new companies like that that are in important location, nodes in the economy, and they force them to build a backdoor. Right. I mean, look, the Bitcoin community, bless their hearts, 
is anything but quiet about this. I mean, they yeah. scream from the rooftops when they make gains. They scream from the rooftops when there are new exchanges and things that give Bitcoin legitimacy. Um, but look, that doesn't lead to a private, untraceable. Yeah. Currency. So Bitcoin actually isn't Bitcoin. You know, the way the way it began. Of course, that's true for most technologies. Right. They morph. But I'll tell you, uh, Tad, my oldest son, was working at a at a coffee place years ago and all of a sudden they cleared the place out and one of the founders of Google and the director of Homeland Security with Secret Service standing at the door met in a Los Altos coffee shop and I don't think they were talking about you know future Google products they were talking about security and access I mean it's obvious and there's a there's a kind of a accepted fact that that uh, the government came in and put trapdoors in all of the uh, microprocessors in the in the in the original mask designs so they're not the government gets its pound of flesh no matter what and it's not going to give up that ever right especially when something becomes as common and as let's be honest accepted as cryptocurrency it's yeah. no longer under the radar by any stretch so bitcoin owners are get pissed off it's like the government is they're hacking us too and then what two days later El Salvador says we will now accept bitcoins in all transactions and the stock goes stock falls stock goes back up yeah the, the value of Bitcoin fell on the colonial pipeline hack thing it went back up when El Salvador of all places said we'll make it a currency um, I mean, honestly, when I read that, it didn't make me say, "Ah, oh, well, now there's stability in Bitcoin." No, we've just we've come to we've come to accept the fact that Bitcoin basically has the emotional development of a three-year-old, right? It's just gonna it's gonna it's gonna react, it's gonna throw a tantrum, it's gonna start dancing, you know, on the slightest thing. That's a good way of putting it. Okay. So now it's accepted in El Salvador, <laughs> which is great, I guess, yeah. because again, everything that gives this legitimacy not only is good for the crypto community and there's more choice etc but it also again brings it out into the open forces to grow bad up. news if you're a hacker dealing in crypto yep. but good news if you want a currency that at least people can understand and, and learn more about yeah okay uh grove sent this one along uh there's a company called si5 so it's silicon 5 inc right uh, it's a startup designs semiconductors interesting because remember we were saying you know, Intel's big plan of building a lot of fabs and all that and going to manufacturing may be, it may be hitting a roadblock down there because everybody else is building fabs. What they should be doing, I think Rich Goldman mentioned this, they should go back to their core strength, which is design, design, design. Well, it looks like um, SI5 has a very uh, interesting uh, takeover proposal from Intel. Yeah, and this is what needs to happen if a company like Intel is to get relevant again. I mean, you look at semiconductor design, this is why some of those formerly small companies uh, have gotten bigger. And yeah. Intel has been in this. I think it bought Altera some time ago. Um, you know, that's uh, programmable logic uh, because they have to do something differently. And as we talked about, I think just last week, they have to do something faster to catch up with demand. And, uh, you know, if that means a different kind of design, you know, what's $2 billion to Intel, which is really facing an uncertain future right now? Let's see if it is $2 billion, because apparently that's provoked a lot of interest from other companies, mm, too. Okay. I think, uh, 
I think the founders of SI5 are going to get very, very wealthy very soon. Uh, okay, Jeff Bezos is stepping down July 5th officially as CEO of uh, Amazon, the company that made him the richest in the world. That's right. Uh, so what do you think? What happens? Uh, I, I want to discuss what happens to Amazon after Bezos, and then what happens to Bezos after Amazon. Right. Um, this is interesting if you're talking about the legacy of a super, super wealthy CEO. We're sort of getting this in real time right now with Bill Gates. Yes. You know, what was a generation ago the Amazon of the world? It was Microsoft. I mean, all of a sudden there had been software, right. but there had never been Microsoft. No. And Microsoft created and carved out an entirely, you know, it was irreplaceable, indispensable. It made so much money. Remember the whole Wintel thing yeah. with Intel? Um, and Bill Gates became the richest human on the planet. Um, and then he said, okay, there's a new legacy. Let's go into, you know, healthcare and third world nations and, you know, climate change. Um, and then at the same time, much more recently, there's some awkwardness with, you know, the post-divorce thing and was he, yes. um, was he treating women badly at Microsoft and all this. So, you know, you sort of look at that and you wonder if Bezos faces something Similar. There was well, online he's, shopping. He's jumping too. Right, but there was never an Amazon. Amazon changed the world yes. under Jeff Bezos. And uh, so now he's going off and he clearly has another legacy in mind. It seems to be and space he's already travel. Had his, he's already had his marital scandal. Right, and, and that was reasonably small. Yeah. Uh, no one has stepped forward, as far as I know, and said Bezos harassed women at work or was a serial philanderer or anything like right. that or dealt with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, but it's it's, you know... It's early, right? Yeah, um, but they're still young. Yeah, it and, took ten years for the Gates stuff to get out. Right, and and it happened after Gates had saved all these lives and raised all this this money. Yeah. So there's no cushion to what you've done before, if we've learned anything. Um, and so yeah, the you know the jury is a bit out on Bezos beyond being a tycoon billionaire. Well, does 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 Amazon still do well? I mean. We say, yeah, you know, Microsoft is doing great, but it didn't do great for about 10 years, right. literally, after Gates stepped down. Right, Gates stepped down. I mean, down think and... of the, how many companies do you know that did really well after the founder left? I mean, even, right. even Apple, the first time Jobs left, you know, got into trouble. Well, I was going to say, Apple did great, Jobs left, it became all but irrelevant, and then someone else became CEO. Oops, no, it wasn't someone else. It was Steve Jobs yeah. again. And then the company soared to new heights. But but Cook has done a good job. Right. Jobs passes right. away. Everyone says, what's up with Apple? And boy, were they wrong if they left Apple right. uh, because Tim Cook has done a, an incredible job. I mean, Intel did it. I mean, Noyce stepped down. Grove stepped in. That was fine. HP, no. No. You right. know, I mean. Yahoo, no. Yahoo, no. Um, Google, yes. Uh, Google has done it with a yes. series of CEOs, and um, and again, look at Microsoft. Microsoft lost relevance for a while. Post Gates, you know, Steve Ballmer did what he could, but it was just not a relevant company. Satya Nadella has literally turned things around and become yes. now the second most valuable company in the world. So Amazon, the difference between Amazon and the other companies we just mentioned is Amazon is riding high as Bezos steps down. So there's no, I mean, we don't there's know. It's not there's... aging, but it does have some internal problems well yes in terms of uh labor right because I mean, everything it's... else is going on you know all 12 cylinders but labor seems to be that 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 problem is not going to go away no it won't and um 
I think that's what Amazon should be dealing with right now because think of the legacy of this company. I mean, it changed everything. It enriched a lot of people. It made shopping, you know, one click simple. But it's stained still by the way it treats its workers, which is a shame, not just because the workers are being treated badly, but it's a shame because here's a company that makes trillions of dollars that could, you think, easily solve this problem and make those, you know, make things right with its employees without going out of business, certainly. So it would be interesting to see if the new CEO addresses that. But, um, but boy, Amazon is, like you say, firing on all cylinders these days. Uh, okay, now let's talk about Bezos after Amazon. I got a funny note from uh, uh, Bob Grove. Again, he said, what are the odds that Jeff Bezos will still be around by Labor Day? And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, the, the Bond villain mega yacht, the, he's going into space. Right. Now, he's not going a long ways into space, but he's going to be in near space in a rocket for, what, 14 minutes in the outer atmosphere? That's a pretty high risk you know, deal. That's not a cakewalk. I think we've become accustomed to, you know, astronauts going up again. But remember, I remember interviewing James Burke, the guy did Connections and all that, and he was the BBC's Apollo correspondent. And he said, we got to the space shuttle and we got so accustomed to successful space flights and we saw this big bus going up and we thought, oh, that's cool if you know a teacher going up that's great you know why not and he says then we got the surprise of our lives because it wasn't as safe as we thought i mean the richest man in the world is going to go up for 14 minutes in outer space on a giant rocket on a roman candle that's you know well right that's why he can't still be amazon ceo yeah <laughs> uh, not sure which is the chicken and the egg of i've got to step down and i want to go into space Right. Um, on a risky yeah, journey, I don't, that, I don't one think of the, the others... insurance, executive comp, insurance companies are going to be would be real happy Oof, about that. No, no, you need someone in place stable before you do that. Uh, so his legacy is clearly: I'm not just going to go hang out on my 500 million dollar yacht. In fact, I'm going to risk my life uh, in my other so, world, which is space travel. So, did he actually create a rocket company just for himself, just for this moment? No, I don't think so. I think he. Um, like many of these super rich space guys, is thinking space travel or space exploration or business in space. Um, and you know, I understand the criticisms of, hey, rich guy, take care of things on your own planet first. But there's no denying, I feel it myself, the lure of looking oh. through a telescope, the amazing things that we've done with NASA and with Blue Origin Look, and with SpaceX, it's, if, it's amazing. If you got a call tomorrow from NASA and said, we want you to go into space for, for <laughs> 15 minutes. It's pretty risky. You could die, but, you know, come on. Wouldn't you go? Yeah, I mean... I'd would, go. I'd go in a heartbeat. <laughs> it would be hard to my say no. My kids are grown. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? my, mine aren't quite, but yeah, uh, I mean, I can see and understand the pull, and I'm not a, a billionaire tycoon who has already done everything in business that can possibly be done and am retiring. Uh, so for Bezos, it's really putting his... I don't know, life where his money is. Well, assuming he lands <laughs> successfully, right. and assuming that the yacht doesn't capsize or get taken over by terrorists or something, 
what does he do for the next 20 years? He's not an old man. No, and we don't know, unlike we did. In fact, he's so jacked up, he looks younger than he did 20 years ago. No, right. That's, I think, part of the whole Vaughn villain persona. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike Bill Gates, who was already involved in the Gates Foundation and third world stuff uh, by the time he left Microsoft, we really don't know what Bezos is aiming for. Um, and he, much like Larry Ellison, you know, they've got this sort of tycoon thing, but unlike so many, they haven't said, okay, so much of my money is going to go towards helping right. this, whether it's climate change or third world health. Um, and so you're sort of waiting for that. Bezos has made some inroads, actually in climate change, but we don't know exactly what he's going to do. Um, he hasn't been as forthright as Bill Gates. And But yeah, maybe he comes down to earth and says, okay, I've done that fantasy. Here's what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. Who knows? Well, I think sometime around Thanksgiving, we're going to, we're going to learn what, what Jeff Bezos has planned for, the, for us and himself for the next 20 years. Maybe he'll you know, step off the yacht once in a while and teach a class at Stanford or something. Yeah, there you go. Who wouldn't want that? Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.